it was important for me to find purpose doing something. So number one, making a video every single day, even if it's just my mom, somebody is counting on me to deliver something. So that made me feel really good. It was easy to say, yes, I've accomplished this. No, I haven't. The other thing I really kind of took on was like, I'm going to be a champion of small breweries and I'm going to get people there. And worrying about other people and trying to help them spread their business message and their vision and help them get sales, that took my brain off of my own business for long enough. Everyone, welcome back to the Tea Please podcast. This is the second ever episode of the Tea Please, and you know, we're gonna spill the tea, but it's a good kind of tea, I like to say, because as much as I love to spill the tea on the latest Bachelor gossip, Team Brennan over here, he just wasn't ready, but you know, I think he could have got there. This kind of tea is different, it's a more productive use of our time, stuff that is going to make us better um, individually and collectively, you know just going to be the good stuff. So keep listening and you'll see what I mean. That clip that you just heard was our guest for this episode, Natalie Jones. Full disclosure, Natalie and I are friends in real life. Um, We used to work together in the office and we started in the same role around the same time. So we just kind of palled around and got stuff done. But she quit about over a year ago now and jumped into the world of entrepreneurship right away by taking over Rocky Mountain Brew Runs, which is a 5K running series here in the Denver area. So in this episode, she spills the tea on quitting the corporate world, how she made her decision to do that, and what her first year has really been like. Um, We talk about advice that's really helped her, how to manage the tougher days, how things have changed with the pandemic, and how to keep going. She also has some exciting new projects coming up this year, including a new brand that you will love if you love craft beer. I don't even drink beer, you guys, and she picks the cutest, most fun beer flavors to share on Instagram, so check her out. Her handle is at beerfeelings, linked in the show notes for you, of course. But yeah, she's super fun. She's really, really good at storytelling, so with anything that she posts or any event that she does, just know that there's going to be some great storytelling going on, and she's just really fun. You'll love her. So before we get into it with Natalie, let's talk about something I know you'll love. For my birthday this last year, I asked Taylor for a skin fridge. And Taylor's my fiance, by the way. We're getting married in May this year, so hopefully COVID can chill before then. Um, But yeah, anyway, I asked him for a skin fridge and he said, what's a skin fridge? So I sent him the exact link of the one that I wanted and that's what he got me. So good job, right? Like guy really knows how to take a hint. So I've been using this white little mini fridge from Cool Lily, mostly because it makes me feel super fancy and like I'm at the spa every time I do my skincare routine. So I get two questions all the time about this fridge. The first question is, is it worth it? And to that, I say yes. If you have the counter space for it, then I say yes for the reasons I just said. I like the skin fridge. It makes you feel like a goddess. It is goddess energy for sure. So it's definitely worth it. If you have the counter space, it can take up a little bit of space on your counter, but you know, you can make it a little cute little station. Um, So yeah, it works. I love it. It is worth it to me. And the second question I get is, do you really need it? And my practical answer for this is no, you don't need it. And cooler temperatures don't change your products or make them more effective chemically in any way. But I will say, refrigerated products do help decrease puffiness and they feel amazing. See, goddess energy. 
it's it's just a whole thing. It's it just makes you feel good. Okay, so no, you don't need it, but yes, you need it. I keep a few products in there at all times. I keep any sheet masks that I have in there because they're just better colder to me. Like if you have a sheet mask, it's always going to be better if you put it in the refrigerator. So again, helps with depuffing and gives you that real spa-like experience. I also keep any serums I use in there. So vitamin C is my go-to serum treatment right now, and it's just better in a cooler temperature. And then I always keep moisturizer in there for the same reasons, you know, colder temperatures, feels good. Really, that's it. And everything is better colder. I don't know why, but they just are. And lastly, I always keep my gua sha facial massage tool in there. And I use a rose quartz heart-shaped one from Cora Organics that I'll link in the show notes for you. But it's awesome. It's super cute. And since it's quartz, it gets really nice and cool in the fridge. That with like the cold vitamin C serum, it's so good. And and yeah, those are my must-haves for the Cool Lily Skin Fridge. I've linked it in the show notes and it's on my website. Again, not sponsored, just something I really love to use. And we're still spending a lot of time at home right now. And this little fridge totally elevates your morning and nighttime routines and gives you that spa experience. Maybe some cucumber water for your skincare routine, wear a robe, make it a whole thing. All right, please subscribe to this podcast and make sure you get your weekly tea. And with that, let's welcome Natalie to the show. I feel like a good place to start is probably how you started it. So from what I know, you were working a corporate job and you made the decision to quit your nine to five. Walk us through kind of what did that look like for you? Absolutely. So I think even since I was little, I've always liked the idea of running my own business. I was always the kid to always have like a lemonade stand or I think they called them mini societies in elementary school. Yeah. Like business and commerce. And what did you sell in mini society? I have to know. I think I ran the store. I don't think I sold anything. I think I was like, there's profit at the store and I don't have to invent anything new. So I think that's what I did. And honestly, thinking back, I think I set some pretty unfair prices. So (laughs) sorry, everybody in my third grade class. But yeah, I, I've always liked the idea of starting a small business. Um, I like that you get to do everything. You get to be creative and you get to be analytical. So that's kind of always been in my veins. Um, I really took on corporate jobs because it was responsible And it was an easy way to get paid. It was an easy way to say that my degree in finance was worth it. Um, And I just happened to be really good at customer service. So that's kind of how I found my way into corporate. And I stuck around because it was great to eat more than just ramen. But kind of what evolved over time is I missed the diversity in my day. So I missed that I could be the finance department and the intern and creative And I just found regardless of the job or regardless of the company, when I would ask for those kinds of projects, that corporate would look at me and be like, well, that's not your job. You're in customer service, which is great. And that's their job. And that's it's for a lot of people. And I salute you if you can do that every day. But I I found myself getting bored more and more and more. And eventually what that led to is um, an impact on my personal life. So I would come home and I would find that I was picking more fights with my boyfriend or getting irritated with my family on calls, but it was all kind of stemming from this unhappiness with corporate, didn't want to climb up the corporate ladder, didn't want to play by those rules. So what ultimately led, like all of this had been building for a while, and then 
I just happened to be met with a disagreement with my boss, which was a catalyst for a lot of things. And then um, was presented with a really cool opportunity to go off on my own. I probably drank that night and, you know, it all, it all kind of happened at once. It was very serendipitous. And um, I decided to take the leap and, and go off on my own and say goodbye to health insurance. Were you going into it feeling really confident or what was your mindset when you made that decision? Because you mentioned having a disagreement with your boss that kind of stemmed this decision or pushed you to actually take the leap and say, see you later. I don't want to be a part of this. Like, how were you actually doing when you made that decision? Yeah, good, good question. Oh man, that was, that was a crazy time. I had a little bit of everything. So I had... I initially started as an intern when I was a when I was in college um, for a local running company that does brew runs, um, and I had been approached by them right around the time that things were getting shaky with the boss, um, and they were looking for a new for a buyer of their business. So, on one hand, I kind of had this cool offer on the table to kind of buy a business that was already kind of baked. I knew it wasn't a full time gig, um, so that definitely helped with the conversation. Thinking like okay, I can see some cash flow. And then um, I have a history in event planning and just found a few contracts that it seemed like it was pretty easy to get contract work. So when I walked, I walked into the quitting office pretty confidently thinking, you know, I have a few gigs lined up. I'm going to figure out how to do it. Um, It's going to be okay. I can figure out how to make money doing events, which I have a history in doing. And then I'll figure out what this means. I'll figure out what my voice is. I'll figure out what my brand is. I just need to start doing this on my own and, and I'll get there. And that's so not like me. (laughs) That's so, I, I like to plan. I like comfort, but just something, it's almost like the stars aligned. And I had the conversation with the old owners in the same day as the disagreement with my boss in the same day that I found the contract. So I'm not, not a big spiritual person, but I think things happen for a reason. And I think kind of the stars aligned there. Quitting day, great mindset, feeling empowered, going to kick ass and take on the world. And like, see ya boss. And then about a month later, (laughs) everything changed. So first contract had ended. The deal hadn't quite closed on buying the business. We were about um, a month out. So I kind of had this mourning period of I'm not in corporate anymore. I'm not quite an entrepreneur anymore. I finished the contract. I got a dog who just got really, really sick. So went from like this confident badass to like, what the heck am I doing? Oh my God. So there was a lot of crying in kind of that month. Once like the adrenaline settled, kind of like if you, like if a traffic light turns and the car in front of you like slams on the brakes and then you slam on the brakes, you get really like all that adrenaline and you get kind of sweaty. And then it takes you a few blocks just to be like, oh my God, that, that could have been really bad. That's kind of what quitting my job was like, is like, full of adrenaline at first. And then just like a lot of feelings, a lot of like, I was mourning, saying goodbye to stability, but I was also excited, but I also didn't know what to do with my time. I watched a lot of Once Upon a Time, that show. Like, I think I watched the whole show in three weeks and it had seven seasons. So, I mean, definitely a mourning period before. (laughs) So it sounds like, 
it wasn't the glamorous transition or the glamorous no. exit that you were maybe hoping for or that we all wish for when we quit our nine to five, if you ever have that dream. I know I have that dream, so I can relate, but yeah, that's pretty epic that you made the choice, like even without having something lined up that you were really confident in going into. And in good faith, I have to ask, and you can answer it however you see fit, but I have to ask what the disagreement was with your boss. How, cause that seems like the catalyst for making that decision out of corporate. So like what happened there? Absolutely. So I wish I could say this was a unique disagreement, Looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So looking back at all of my corporate jobs, it seems like this is why I consistently left, but I felt like I had kind of conquered the the role at hand. I was in a, a project management job where I was kind of the translator between website designers and clients. I felt like I had kind of achieved all that could be achieved there. So I was either at a position to get a raise or increased responsibilities a little bit of background. My mother was a practicing attorney her entire career. So has filled me up with a lot of like, go ask for the raise, go kick ass, go ask for what you're worth. So, so I honestly thought I was heading into that conversation to ask for more money, ask for more responsibility and have a conversation about it. But the company at the time just didn't have the resources or the position for me. So what I was hoping was going to be a constructive conversation ended up being pretty limited, pretty disappointing. And ultimately what he and I both agreed upon with some strong words was I, I had kind of outgrown the company and outgrown the role. And and I was disappointed to hear that from someone. I, I always thought of myself as a power player on the team. Maybe that's conceited for me to think that of myself, but um I was really disappointed to hear that. I was excited to take the team to the next level and wanted to stay and was disappointed that the team didn't have room for for me to grow with them, which which kind of put the nail in the coffin on this is not the first time I've had this conversation. I need to be my own boss. Yeah, I mean, talk about like entrepreneurial mindset right there. Like can't be tamed. I want more. Give me more. I will leave. So talk us through what happened after that. So we quit. We went through all the feelings. We watched a lot of TV. We got a dog. Yep. <laughs> and then. And then, so I took over Rocky Mountain Brew Runs January 1st of 2020. Um, first event right out of the gate was the best event that I've ever coordinated. Everything that could have gone right or wrong went right. It's the event sold out. The sun came out for like a, I think it was January 4th. Now it feels like seven years ago, but the sun was out on a January run. The people were cool. The beer was great. Like everything, the stars aligned and the universe was like, yeah, this is where you're supposed to be. Great way to start. Then the February run happened. There was a three foot blizzard that week. So I was faced with the decision of, is this safe? Is this responsible? At this point, I was really, my goal was just execute the events the exact same way that the previous owners did. And if I can survive year one doing it the way they did, then year two, I can start to make some changes and year three, it can ultimately be my event. So that was my game plan from the start. But yeah, February, really rough, low registration numbers, little worried about safety and liability, ended up having the run anyways, really cool personnel. Yeah, conquering, kicking ass, great. Then March happens and we hear rumors of this weird disease 
from Wuhan, China. Talking about COVID? Yep, talking about COVID. <laughs> and honestly, I thought my boyfriend was crazy because he kept mentioning it. He was, he called it the Wuhan coronavirus. I was like, this sounds ridiculous. There's no, like, there's been bird flu and swine flu and all of these things and Ebola. But like, really, we haven't been that impacted here. And I'm not meaning to sound insensitive to those who have been impacted by those, but I do. I personally have not been impacted by any virus or disease on a grand scale. So I thought, okay, yeah, 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 you're fine. And then more news started to come out, more things started to change, and now we're in a pandemic. So when I thought February was going to be the toughest event, March actually turned out to be the toughest. Fortunately, we were able to host our event. We were one of the last 5Ks to happen right before the shutdown you were holding in-person events, right? So this was a 5K that people would sign up for and they had different themes every month and they would come and run the 5K and also drink beer. Maybe the most important part, but they were in-person events. So this was obviously like derailed with COVID. Yep. It was a really big emotional roller coaster. Just personally, I got a lot of emails of people saying, this is not responsible that you're hosting this event and shame on you. And also a bunch of people saying, all of this news is driving me crazy. Thank you so much. You're holding my life mm. together. And I was like, I'm just a race director. What? Like, what? what is going on? That was really my pivotal moment this year of, I just bought an event company. I have a lot of money that I owe the owners. I don't really know what my spin is going to be virtual runs aren't my thing. What am I going to do? So again, we, we kind of went back to that, like crying and television phase for a few, for like a week or so, just kind of feeling bad for ourselves, but that doesn't get stuff done and that doesn't get you paid. And so ultimately what I had to do is reframe the business and say, okay, if I can't do in-person events, what does my business mean to me? So I set, I set some new pillars and I kind of went back and I said, you know, without runs, what is Rocky Mountain Brew runs? And I said, well, I like small businesses. Cool. That's an easy pillar. I like supporting small business. Pillar two, craft beer is good. Awesome. And three, I like to have fun. And I don't take myself too seriously. And I like to make some self-deprecating jokes and have a lot of sarcasm in my life. So kind of made a pivot to say, well, how can I keep people entertained and remembering me since they can't join me in person? So did a 75-day video series called the Daily Beer Challenge. Woo! 75 days strong. I, I learned a lot about video editing really fast. I learned a lot about how to jimmy rig like your cell phone against different objects and videotape yourself doing crazy fitness exercises with beer. And kind of what came out of that is there was no engagement on my posts, but there were a lot of views. And I thought that was really curious. Like, why don't, just tell me how many squats you did. Like, that's that's what I said every day is like, I see you. I see you looking at the content. I see you like viewing this. Just click like, just click something. All you content creators out there can relate to this, I'm sure. Oh my gosh. It's like, that will literally take you a fraction of a second, but that will increase my views by tenfold or whatever. So if you're listening to this, you even remotely like something, just click the button. It costs you $0. So pay attention, people. Leave a comment on this podcast. Give me a review. Anyways, kind of what I found out was from some random people who I haven't talked to since high school is people find me entertaining. People think I have an interesting viewpoint in that I'm 
kind of a cluster. I'm I'm the girl at the party that's eating all the nachos. Like I'm not worried about if people think I'm skinny or fat. As you shouldn't be. I'm the girl that's like eating all the nachos because I know I like nachos and there's probably a big cheese stain on my shirt, but I don't care because I'm eating nachos and they're free. Like that's kind of my viewpoint. And that's what came across in these videos. And people just ate it up. People were like, who needs an airbrushed filter girl? I have this shit show. Can I swear on this? Yeah, you can. (laughs) Okay. Say whatever you want. Great. You can bleep me out later. I think people liked that they got to see someone who is a bigger shit show than themselves in the middle of the biggest pandemic in the world. And I'm fine being the shit show. Like I was just, it gave me personally, it gave me a reason to get out of bed every day, put on pants. They weren't even real pants. They were mostly leggings, but get out of bed every day, do something that was structured. So I did it as much for my mental health as well as for them. But it was cool to see that people liked my viewpoint. Would you say that that's something that helped you during that time? Or you kind of alluded to not doing so great mentally during that time when your events were kind of halted and everything. What's something that you did to kind of get through that? Like what was your go-to pick yourself up every day? Cool. I drank a lot. (laughs) That's good for your business. That's the honest answer. It's good for business, but I... I kind of uncovered some new hobbies. Like it was important for me to find purpose doing something. So number one, making a video every single day, even if it's just my mom, somebody is counting on me to deliver something. So that made me feel really good. It was easy to say, yes, I've accomplished this. No, I haven't. The other thing I really kind of took on was like, I'm going to be a champion of small breweries and I'm going to get people there. And worrying about other people and trying to help them spread their business message and their vision and help them get sales. That took my brain off of my own business for long enough. And success for me was easier to achieve than actual sales dollars. But just in like such a hopeless time when literally no one knows what's going on and businesses are shutting down left and right and there's like panic widespread caring about other people and trying to help them with their business just made my heart feel better. And it, it made me feel like I mattered a little bit more, especially in running a business where like, I'm not creating face masks. I'm not helping the people that are sick. I'm not making cars. Like I, my business is pretty, it's a fun extra thing that people can do. And so it was important for me to feel both relevant and also to give homework assignments every day. So that that really helped. But yeah, thing, things got pretty dark. Even if you didn't have a business at that point, it would be extremely challenging. And you're also trying to navigate this first year of, first six months really of your own business that's event-based, like reliant on people to come in person to these events. You said something that's really important to note, I think of of helping other people during that time or like you were feeling really down and it really helped you to feel like you were helping other business owners because that was like your little piece that you can contribute. I think that's huge. I think that's something that I struggled to find in myself. So the fact that you like held on to that during that time and were able to like use that to not only like help yourself, but also do whatever you can to help these small businesses who are obviously going to be struggling with COVID and, you know, just sales being down and people not able to go to their breweries and everything. Like 
so amazing. And I'm glad that it helped you and the business owners, because I think that's really cool and something that everyone should um, hold on to. That's advice that I've heard on several podcasts and from, um, you know, speakers throughout the years of like the best way to kind of pick yourself up or get out of a bad mindset is to help other people. And I see that in myself all the time of like, I'm so focused on what I'm doing and just like analyzing everything that I forget that I can contribute to the world. (laughs) And sometimes just getting out and doing that is, can make like a world of difference. And if I can add, I would not Like if I look at my graduating class, right, I would not say I'm the most philanthropic person. I don't think I'm in the top 10%, but I think what I was able to do is I was able to find a group of people that I really cared about. And those were the people, like those were my homies. That sounds ridiculous. But but those were the people that I wanted to take care of. So I think it's really easy. Like when I listen to those podcasts, because I hear the same thing, like, giving feels better than receiving and all this stuff. Sometimes it's easy to hear that as like, go volunteer at a hospital or a homeless shelter or a cancer ward or something like that. And all of those are really, really great things, but it's easy to feel like that's the only way to help. But also just like calling your friends regularly is a nice way to help people. Or, you know, if your significant other always does the laundry, you doing the laundry once is a nice way to help or cooking dinner or ordering dinner. So I think that's, for me, it wasn't like, let's put on our philanthropy pants and go do it. It was just like, okay, I like these breweries. I can't survive without the breweries. They're the ones that I need to focus on. Yeah. And I make a good point as far as like, I think there's a lot of opportunities within your circle, within your day to day that are overlooked as far as how you can serve other people. And man, I fall victim to that so often. It's something I'm trying to focus on more. But yeah, that's awesome that that's something that you were able to do. And even if like people weren't commenting on anything, you still did this freaking challenge for 75 days, which is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I will say if if you need to learn how to get comfortable on video, just start. Just start doing it. You're going to hate your first video and you're going to hate your second video a little bit less. And by the time you get to 13, you just don't even care. You're like, yeah, I I said something and it was kind of embarrassing and it's fine, but it seems like people really resonate with this like genuine image. Um, so yeah, just start. Just start doing it. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. I was like trying to make YouTube videos over the summer. That was something that I did when we were all locked down and at home a lot. And I was like, dang, I really feel like I need to put some content out there. Like I'm just really wanting to explore what my voice would look like online. So I started looking into YouTube videos and making them. And oh my gosh, I was so nervous, like so incredibly nervous to start them and to post on my Instagram and I just kept thinking about like everyone who would see these and how they would see them and how they would interpret them and all this stuff. And then I started making a few YouTube videos and I was like, wow, first of all, people don't care. And the people that do care are awesome. (laughs) So those are the people that I want to talk to. This is our first ever freaking podcast and we're just doing it. So we're just doing it. And you can't get better if you don't have a starting point. Like that's kind of been my go-to saying this year is like, My second thing is going to be better than my first, but it can't be better unless I do the first thing and I mess up and I learn from it and I get over myself or I finally listen to the feedback. So do it. Just do it like Nike. 
that's something I think has been popping up for me a lot lately of you're not going to know, like that thought scares me because I listen to podcasts. I listen to like all the self-help stuff. I read the self-help books. I watch Gary Vee and like all these people that have all the advice and they always say like, you're going to mess up. Just do it. You're going to mess up. And to hear that just makes me freeze because I'm like, well, I could just think through all the things so I don't ever mess up because these people are telling me that I'm going to mess up and that freaks me out. But what I've realized is that you're not going to know what you're going to mess up in. So you can think through so many things and overanalyze every choice that you make when you're trying to get something started or put something out there, but you're not going to know how you mess it up until you do it and put it out there. And then you're like, oh, that was a bad idea. Or, oh, I would do this different next time. But you cannot think through everything. And that's why people say just start because you cannot think through the process enough to where you have it perfect from the start. Like things will uncover themselves as you go and there's no way for you to predict or prevent that from happening. So you just have to do it. That has been life-changing for me because I always thought like, well, if people say that you're going to mess up, then I'm going to figure out how, what my mess up would be. And then I won't do that. And I just run myself to the ground thinking of all the ways that things are going to go wrong. So the other thing that I keep hearing that I just, if I hear it one more time, I might punch a hole in the wall is fail fast. I get that advice a lot. Fail fast, go hard, fail fast, blah, blah, blah. Literally every direction, my friends, my family. And I just want to say like, shut up. Stop telling me that I'm going to fail. Stop, stop saying that I'm going to mess up. Stop saying like, stop putting those negative thoughts in my mind. Like I get it. And I know, and believe me, I understand how I can fail about 3 million times more than you think that I can fail. So just shut up is what I, what I want to tell all of them. And so for me, I listened to, I want to say it was the I Love Marketing podcast um, with Joe Polish. But instead of saying like, failure, 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 you're going to suck and be shitty. He said, instead, look at the cost of inaction. So if you weren't going to do this, what could you be missing out of on? And that, that mental switch has really helped me in taking some, I mean, the, the human that I am between January, February, like I'm going to do everything the same way that the old owners did to now where I'm just like, here's a crazy idea. Let's go. Like, let's go to market. Let's take, let's get some customer feedback. I think that quote, just look at the cost of inaction helped me a lot to get over it. Like, I'm not thinking about failing. I'm thinking about missing out. I'm not worried about failing because I'm thinking about like, man, I have this little baby product idea. What if somebody does it before me? Like, that's my idea. That's my thing. So that, I don't know if that helps anybody out there, but I don't, I, I think the positive words are always more beneficial than negative words. That's how I trained my dog. He's a lovely dog. Yes. My two cents on that is, there's so much negative connotation with some of the words that we hear in the self-help space or entrepreneur resources or whatever it is. Fail fast is definitely one that I hear often. And I've thought a lot about that one as well. And I think it's like, is that message meant for me? Yes or no? Like, do I really need to hear that or do I not? Is that message meant for someone else? Because the internet puts everything out there. It doesn't, I mean, there are algorithms that try to give me what I want and I appreciate that. Do I need to hear that I'm going to fail fast? Is that really something that's going to motivate me? Or maybe that's something that someone else really resonates with and that's going to get them going to start on their dream. But 
for me, I know I don't need to hear that. So I'm just going to like toss that out and take some other piece of advice that speaks to me like in a different way that I resonate with. But yeah, I don't need to hear that I'm going to fail. That does not feel good to me. And I think there's just different, there's different levels of, of getting started. Like fail fast could mean, I don't know, buy a domain. I've bought so many domains because I've like changed my name and what I wanted my business to be so often. That's failing fast. But can I think through how to start a podcast a little bit better? Probably. Like there are some things that you can fail fast at. And sometimes like you do need to put in the work and not just put something out there. So my my message is really to run everything through your own judgment. Like, is that the message that you need to hear to get going? And if it's not, then just leave it. There's so many other motivational speakers out there that can give you a message that's actually going to motivate you. So yeah, I say just like ditch whatever is not working. I agree. And communicate that to your community. Like if I've told my parents, I said, you know what? Fail fast doesn't work for me. I understand. And I appreciate that you're giving me guidance. Please don't use those words. And that, that's really helped me in just communicating the kind of feedback that I need from my community or the kind of support that I need. Like, hey, I'm going to tell you an idea and I really just need you to compliment it. Like, even if you think it's a bad idea, that's really helped me just kind of in my growth. And that's been a lot of kind of self-awareness and, and personal analysis that I've that I've learned along the way is just like, sometimes you need to ask for what you need instead of getting frustrated that people don't give you what you need. Mm, yeah, that's huge. And knowing what you need is like a whole thing of itself. Like you got to do some deep dive into figuring out what that is. Okay. So after everything, after all of this, on a scale of one to 10, how much would you recommend quitting your nine to five? If you're finding that you're constantly hitting ceilings and you're always looking to climb the ladder and it's very easy for you to get bored once you figure out your role, 100%, like 10, you said one to 10 and I said 100%, 10, 10, quit your job, quit your job and do it because there's so many opportunities out there and there's so many things that you can invent or market, or like there's a million different kinds of businesses that you can do. So if you're finding that you're really bored and you're hitting those ceilings, 10 out of 10, take a risk on yourself, go do it. If like this life isn't for everybody, if you really love comfort, if you really like, if your job doesn't define you, cool. Like my boyfriend, he doesn't love his job, but that's fine because he's really good at it and he understands it's just it's just a job and he gets his sense of accomplishment and joy elsewhere and that's awesome and I love him for it mainly because he helps me pay the bills but also like I can see that he's satisfied in his life but I am the kind of person I define myself by my career I define myself by my work so it was important for me to do more and to do something that I really cared about. Mm, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense as far as figuring out like if that's the leap that you're willing to take. And especially if you don't have something lined up like you didn't, I think it's like something to consider. And I really resonate with what you said about if your work defines you or not. Like I think you and I are very similar in the way that I take so much pride in my work that I have a hard time separating it from like where I get my value and how I see myself. So it would be really hard to stay in a position that didn't resonate with the person that I wanted to be or didn't give me that affirmation really. Sometimes you got to risk it for the biscuit. You risking it, girl. <laughs> There's a lot at risk. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so get us up to speed on how things are going now. You kind of mentioned that you have this baby idea for a product with your company. So we know you have the 5K runs that are picking up again now that the city is more open and um, people are able to come to in-person events again. Where do you see the business going or what's what are your ideas? Good question. Million dollar question. I think part of the answer that I'm both excited and terrified about is I'm not I'm not quite sure. what. Here's what I know. People seem to like how I describe beer. I'll give everyone out there that hasn't read my beer descriptions an example. I probably in April was drinking a tart cherry sour. And on Instagram, I just posted a picture of the can and I posted a picture of the glass. And I said, this beer doesn't taste like Jolly Rancher cherry flavors. It tastes like cherries that you would get at the farmer's market. But more so, it tastes like you brought those cherries home. Your mom cut the pits out of them. And she tucked them away in the fridge so that when you ate them, not only was it that juicy cherry flavor, but they were effortless to consume. Those are the kinds of things that I write. How am I going to make money off of that? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I I think it's okay. I think part of what I'm discovering about myself is what do people like about my brand persona and how do they want to come along the journey with me? I think I've tried probably four or five different ideas right now about, okay, do they want to buy beer from me? Do they want to do events with me? Do they want to buy a t-shirt? Do they want to, you know, what do they want to do? Um, So just figuring out how do I both take them along the journey with me as well as monetize that? Maybe I'll become a YouTube sensation, not, not counting on that, but always, always in my back pocket. So As of now, what I'm considering, mainly because I just went to a workshop on it, is I'm really interested in the subscription box space. I think it's an interesting model. I think millennials especially love subscription boxes because it's exciting. I think it brings back that feeling of like Christmas morning. of You don't know what you're getting, but you know it's going to be something good. So starting to explore that space, trying to kind of figure out where does craft beer and beer reviews on Instagram? How do they all fit together into a box? So playing around with a few different ideas, also trying to think like, does the event space make sense still? Am I going to be like the new Tupperware party at bridal showers? You know, maybe instead of selling Rubbermaid containers, I show up and I do a beer tasting with them and I help them learn something new about beer talk about their feelings in relation to the flavors that they're tasting. So, so lots of ideas on the table, but I think what I'm figuring out is like, it's okay. It's all right. It's easy to get, well, it's not easy, but if you work somewhat hard, you can get a contract job and you can survive and you can pay for more than ramen. You can afford chicken thighs, for example. Those are pretty reasonably priced. You can get a contract for something that pays your baseline and then start cultivating this personal brand wild idea that you have. And then you're in a position where when it takes off, because it will, if you care about it, you can just drop the contract. It's not quitting a job. You're already on your own health insurance. You're, you know where the ramen is and you know when it goes on sale. So you're asking all the right questions as far as, you know, what does my audience want to see? Do they want to go to events with me? Do they like my persona? Do they like me online? Do they like my videos? What do they like? I think that's such 
a huge angle that a lot of content creators don't think about, or they think I know what these people want, or they like what this person does. So I'm going to do that exact same thing. And then it flops and they don't know why. So I think you're asking all the right questions and I have full faith that you're going to figure it out. And I'm so happy that, um, you're able to come on and share with us what you're doing, because I think it's really special and unique to have someone in that first year of entrepreneurship where it's not something that we usually see. So to see the ups and downs and hear about like how the year went, I think that's something that is extremely relatable. I know I can relate to trying to get something started and change my mind a million times of what it's going to look like. And you know, you just have to go with the flow. So I'm so excited to see what happens with the brew runs and the products and everything that you're going to come up with. Thank you so much. I think the the only way that you're going to find out if you can do this is to try. And realizing you can always go back to corporate. You can always, like, I can always get a customer service job again. I can always do what I was doing before. And like your resume isn't just thrown out the window once you try and do something else. Like you, even though it doesn't feel like you have a fallback, you do. Like you can get another job if you need it. Or you can go clean tables or wash dishes or like, it's not glamorous, but you can survive. It's not the end of your life if you fail. Yeah, exactly. My mom told me this huge story once because I was so anxious about everything. It was like the year that I moved out to Colorado by myself and I was going back home and I was so anxious. And she told me this story about this family friend who just like made all these terrible decisions and they just were like in so much debt and got like all of their cars and their house repossessed and all this stuff. And my mom was just like, and they're fine. Like they're doing fine. So you can mess up, like you can afford to mess up a little bit in life and you're gonna, you can mess up a lot in life and probably be fine. Just don't like be a good human. Don't break the law. That's it. That's good advice, especially online. If you're thinking about getting something going online or you really want to grow an Instagram following or YouTube or podcasting or whatever it is that is so low risk. Like just post the thing, put it out there. I promise you, like people are not going to be coming at you, especially when you're just started. People are super supportive. Um, when you get the trolls, you're doing something right. I've heard that before. And it's so true. Um, if you're just getting started, like the people that are there to support you are definitely going to support you for sure. And I 10 out of 10, if someone is there to complain about you or complain about what you're doing, and that's really a big compliment. That's great. They heard about you and they took time out of their day to be upset. And that's cool because that means more than just your mom is watching your squat videos. So embrace those trolls. That's just a milestone to hit. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. Okay. Before we wrap up here, what do you think being an entrepreneur has taught you about yourself in this first year? First and foremost, I thought I was really good at time management, but I was actually just really good at hustling. Um, so just good at like grinding myself down until like who needs to sleep or eat. So, so that was the first thing is I was actually pretty awful at time management. Um, the other thing is I have a lot of anxiety and I thought I knew how to cope with anxiety, but in this amplified space where your highs are higher, your lows are lower, I actually didn't have a really healthy way of coping with anxiety. So um, just having a really strong foundation, really strong community and some extra hobbies like exercise or just like meditating, things like that. Um, I'm learning how important kind of self-care is and how much it impacts my business. So, so those are the two main big guys that 2020 taught me. 
Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So throughout this year, it sounds like there's been some times that have been kind of uninspiring or hard to get through. So in those times or just in general, what's something that inspires you to be your best self and get things going? Good question. I think relying on kind of finding what my purpose is, as far as like being the champion of small business really helped me kind of in that really low period. I just kept thinking like, if I don't show up and I don't help these breweries, what are they going to do? So, so taking the focus away from myself and focusing it on other people was really helpful. The other thing that I did, I guess it's the exact same thing, but just as a different version is I picked up a softball coaching gig, um, just a volunteer job of high school teenage girls, which I don't miss being a high school teenage girl, but, but showing up and putting myself in a position where I had the opportunity to be a role model for somebody or not like the opportunity to do it or blow it, um, really helped me think about what kind of female do I want to be? How do I want to show up for these women? And if they ask what I do for my job, I want to have a really cool answer for them. So that, that really helped me. So taking the focus away from myself and putting it on others helped a lot. Awesome. Where can everyone find you? Online, in person? Go ahead. Plug yourself. So in person, as of now, I can be found in my office almost every day, but I'm not going to give you guys my address. Um, but online right now for the Brew Run series, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Just Rocky Mountain Brew Runs is the name of the business. Our website is rockymountainbrewruns.com. And then the new brand, if you want to read all of those beer captions, follow along on the beer journey, just find me on Instagram. Badass Brew Babe is my handle and I would love you guys to come along this journey with me learn something about yourself talk about your feelings take cool pictures of random beer cans and we're gonna have a good time all right that's it for this episode I will talk to you in the next one make sure to subscribe to the tea please podcast share it with a friend tell them what episodes you liked find me on instagram write a review do whatever you can to help me grow this thing i would so so appreciate it check out the show notes for helpful links and maybe make your way over to the tea please website i'll be linking any products that we talk about here just so you have them all in one place and all right that's all i got i'll talk to you in the next episode